can I tell about the cross? And as you can see, it's almost 20 minutes after 9. Now, folks, I'm not upset about that because we needed to vote for the deacons. We had a long prayer list this morning. We needed to have the praise and worship songs and all of this. And I believe that it's maybe God's way of telling me to tell you what you and I need to do is sit down in the privacy of our own room, wherever that might be, and read again the gospel records. And I want to point every one of the gospels testify that Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. Here's the good news. The gospels don't end there. All of them testify also that Jesus was raised from the dead, and next Sunday we're going to celebrate his resurrection. But, folks, before the resurrection was the cross, Jesus died for you and for me. Praise his name. And, and I don't know how long. This is not, I'm not being critical. How long has it been since you and I sit down and read the gospel and said, Lord, help me to see what your son done for me. I promise you, I've got at least a 45-minute to an hour sermon that I've been chipping at, uh, I've been biting at the, chomping at the bits. I'll get that right in a minute. Uh, to preach this morning. But folks, I believe the message is in the privacy of our heart to see what Jesus did for you and me. This is how much he loved us. And folks, it's more than the physical agony that he suffered on the cross. It is his commitment to not only the Father's will to come and die for us, but the commitment that he's made for you and I. I cannot fully understand how a holy God can love a sinful, rebellious creation like all of us have been in the way that he does. Jot these down. I hope you've got plenty of time. If you don't call friend this week, she'll give you these passages of Scripture. But, folks, every one of the gospel records tell us he died. He died. He was innocent. But he died for us. He died for the world. Matthew 27, you'll notice the verses, Mark 15, John 19. And now these passages of Scripture that I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. And if you'll go back to the beginning now, Mackenzie, thank you very much. And this morning, if we don't get past just reading this, and I want to give you just some explanation of what is going on, okay? <clears throat> In Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 32, all right? Two others also who were criminals. And you're going to find out that these two men were robbers, they had been found guilty of crime that was punishable by death, death on the cross. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Now, again, the whole purpose of Jesus being placed on the cross at Calvary was to kill him, was to put him to death. Verse 33, when they came to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Obviously, Jesus is placed on the middle cross to humiliate him, to single him out as the most criminal, the most guilty, and surely the most hated one of the three that was being crucified. And in verse 34, a man that has had spikes put in his hands, and attached to a cross, what do you think he would be saying? 
Well, as you read these gospel accounts, you'll find out there are seven different sayings that Jesus gave from the cross. In my memory, I didn't write this down, but I think three of those seven sayings are found in the gospel of Luke. And according to Luke, here's the first thing that Jesus said from the cross in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me ask you something. If you were being crucified by a bunch of folks and they were yelling at you and screaming at you and mocking you and had spit upon you and had beaten you almost to death, would you be praying for them? But you remember Jesus had told his disciples, pray for those who persecute you. And he was living out what he had preached. Listen to the reaction of the crowd in the latter part of verse 34. And I want to point these out. The soldiers, some of them began to cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus was a pauper. He was, if, if he were living on this earth today, he would be seen as a homeless man. He would be seen as a no good. He didn't have a job. He didn't have any income. And surely Jesus only had the garments that were left to him. But these soldiers, in a mocking way, cast lots, gambled for his garments. And in verse 35, the people stood by watching, watching. You know, I believe so often we as a church, we're just standing by watching. We know that the Son of God has been crucified. We know that he was buried, and then on the third day he rose again, but we're just sitting by watching. These folks absolutely did nothing to help the Lord Jesus Christ. And even worse, in the latter part of verse 35, the rulers scoffed at him, saying, Now, folks, again, these are the religious leaders. These are the leaders of the Jewish people. These are the men that were respected because of their religious knowledge and their religious acts. And instead of recognizing that this man is the son of God, they scoffed at him, saying he saved others, let him save himself, if. And please notice this, if. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36 Other soldiers mocked him, coming up to him, offering him vinegar. Folks, again, this is adding insult to injury. And they said in verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And again, this inscription was intended to mock Jesus. But in reality, it was the truth. Verse 39, one of the criminals, remember this too, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not to cross, save yourself and us. He didn't care who Jesus was. If he could get off the cross, then he wanted Jesus to get him off the cross also. But the other rebuked him saying, remember this is a moment of divine revelation for this second criminal. He says to his buddy, do you not fear God since we are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly? Do you realize what this man has just said in verse 41? It is a confession of sin. He is saying, listen, you and I, we're robbers. We deserve to be put to death on the cross and we're receiving the due rewards of our deeds. Remember what Paul says, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? It is death. 
Folks, these two robbers knew what they had done, and they knew that they should be put to death. But this second robber says, this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Folks, I want to tell you, this man saw beyond the cross. Can you imagine looking at this man on the middle cross? Again, I think about the movie, The Passion. He has been beaten almost to death. His body has been almost torn to shreds. He has got a crown of thorns on him, and he looks worse than death. And this man says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And... 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about how to the non-believer the preaching of the cross is folly. Can you imagine some who might have heard that thief saying, Jesus, remember me, and they're probably thinking, what an idiot. How could anybody on a cross save you and have a kingdom that you could enter into? And folks, I want to tell you something. The gospel writers help us see beyond that cross and beyond the tomb where Jesus was, uh, was lain, and they see the empty tomb and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man at that moment was given the ability to see beyond the cross. You and I need to see beyond the cross that Jesus asked us to pick up and follow him. We need to see beyond the pleasures of this world and all that Satan tempts us with, and we need to see this king in all of his glory. And I believe that man was able to see that in that moment. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 43. Truly, truly, you know what that means. This is God's message. This is a word not from my lips, but from God himself. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man is saved on the cross. It was now about the sixth hour, verse 44. As you read the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, you'll find out that when Jesus was placed on the cross and, and put there for the crowd, it was, it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. In Luke, in verse 44, it is now the sixth hour, it is noon. And for a three-hour period from noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, as Jesus hung on the cross, there's darkness over the whole land for three hours. God's got a message. The sun would not shine. And all of a sudden, it seems like all the forces of Satan and hell and every demonic force is there rejoicing that the Son of God is being put to death. But Luke tells us something that is really extraordinary for we who are not Jews. The curtain in the temple was torn in two. And as you remember from the Old Testament, when God gave instructions to prepare the temple, there was a part of the temple that was called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go in there once a year to offer sacrifices. And it was such a holy place that he had to bathe and offer sacrifices himself before he could go in because he was a sinner too. But there was a curtain separating the Holy of Holies and the other areas. And that curtain separated sinful man from holy God. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn in two. God saying to humanity, all of your sin can be forgiven through the blood of my son and you can have free access to me.
This is what Paul says in Romans 5.1. There was so much going on in those moments. And folks, in verse 46, Luke gives us the second saying in his gospel. And perhaps there's only two. I said, I said three. I wanted it to be three because I wanted to tell you something else. But give me just a couple more minutes. I promise you, I, I want you to go home and just read these accounts. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 46. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. How many of us have prayed at night with our children and led them in that prayer, now lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord myself to keep. It is thought that this expression, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, was a prayer that Jewish children were taught to say. Jesus is dying, but he is trusting the Father. There's another passage of Scripture. I'm just about finished, I promise. There's another passage of Scripture that I want to mention, um, and it's found in Mark chapter 15. Mark, Mark, Mark just really gives a lot of details. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Mark says, Mark 15, 34, Mark says, at the ninth hour, Three o'clock that afternoon. Thank you, Mackenzie, for putting it up. It's on the overhead. After there had been three hours of darkness, and Jesus is getting ready to breathe his last, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And I can't do this as good as Tim Way does at the drama. Eloi, Eloi, laba sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's a lot of debate about what this means. And, and I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know for sure. I've always thought that it meant that at that very moment, Jesus felt the sins of all the world upon himself. Look, I'm talking about every sin that's ever been committed. And at that moment, sins... And the judgment of sin was placed on Jesus. Some Bible scholars think that because God is a holy God that he could not look upon his own son at that moment because he became sin for us. Some people have trouble with that. Well, how could the father forsake his son? Surely he would never do that. So I've struggled to understand it. But this past week, and I share this, I might be wrong, and I pray God God will help me that I've got a clear understanding. And, and I think what I just said about uh, Jesus taking sin upon himself and God being a holy God. But, folks, I think there's something else going on here that I've never seen. Wednesday before last, we were studying... On the Sunday before the crucifixion, Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers the Monday before the Friday. And, and he is angry. Luke tells us he's, he's angry. And this is the second time at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, Jesus drove out the money changers. But there's something that is absolutely astounding that as he goes into the temple to drive out the money changers, you know what he does? He quotes scripture. Now, think about this for just a second. Hang with me here. 
the last time you really got ticked off about something you were so angry, did you quote scripture? I'm not trying to be a smart aleck up here, y'all. I had to say that to say this. What Jesus says in verse 34 is a quote from Psalms 22, verse 1. As he is dying on the cross, he is quoting scripture. And it never occurred to me, he is quoting from the Psalms. What was the purpose of the books of Psalms? They were used in worship. Many of them were songs that were used just like you and I have sang some of the hymns. These psalms were used to sing praise to God. And folks, I've never realized it. By saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Quoting Psalms 22, Jesus is worshiping the Father. Even as he is dying. Does that make sense? I don't know. But I believe that Jesus knew the Father was waiting to receive him into his arms. But he wanted to praise the Father. Father, thank you for loving humanity this much. Thank you, Father, for sending me and enabling me to provide the way that lost sinners could be saved and born into the kingdom of God. There's so much that happened in those six hours and it happened for us. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that your son obeyed. Thank you that Jesus died for each person here. Lord, today, I pray that the church family would know I'm not trying to be emotional, Lord, but I can't help but get emotional when I think about what Jesus has done, not only for me, but for my wife and my daughters and my granddaughter and every person in this room and every person on this planet Father, we praise you. We thank you. And Lord, this week, I just pray that you'll give each one of us uh, a new realization of what happened that day on the cross. It's not simply a good religious story, but it is how God has opened the door for us to enter into right relationship with him and to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Praise you for all that you've done. In these moments of invitation, Father, I pray that if there are those that need to make new commitments as Christians to you, that we'll do that. I pray, Father, that if there's someone here who, who needs to trust Christ, just as that thief on the cross was given a divine revelation of who your son is, I pray, Lord, that someone here in this room today might receive that same divine revelation and they might see that man hanging on the middle cross was the son of God dying for them and I pray like that thief they would confess their sin and turn to you and ask for entrance into the kingdom of God through the shed blood of your son 
Father, bless us in these moments. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn this morning is number 230, The Old Rugged Cross. An old, old hymn with such a powerful message. As you sing these words, would you hear its message? Let us stand. Amen.